Welcome to the Pitch Podcast, where entrepreneurs and cutting edge companies come to tell us about the products they're making, the ideas they're spending time on, and the problems they're solving. Here's your host, Warren Spiewak. Welcome to the Oil and Gas Pitch Podcast. Today I got Andrew Bruce with me. You know, I know him from Data Gumbo, a lot of work that we've done in the past through Data Gumbo and the Oil and Gas Global Network. But today we're going to talk about something really new, cutting edge. It's one of these things that when we get into like invoicing and time turnaround, and I'm going to learn about this just as quickly as you guys do as we dive into this. Andrew, welcome to the show. And we're going to talk about this company, Fizit. Thank you very much. I appreciate you making time. Glad to be here. So tell me just for all of us, I know your background, but we're going to dive into this vision you had. And I know that you've conquered quite a few milestones with what you're creating here. But let's just start from the very beginning. What is the vision of Fizit? What's it supposed to do? And who does it help? I mean, that's three questions in one. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Fizit is a fintech spin out from Data Gumbo. Data Gumbo was a smart contract platform for automating transactional execution in the industrial space. And Fizit is going the extra step, which I think makes it extra valuable, which is we're actually making the payment as well. Rather than just confirming the transaction, we are saying, based on the history of the learnings from Data Gumbo, we saw that 98% of transactions were going through without any human touch. If the transactions are that accurate, then why do you need to wait for an invoice? Why do you need to wait for any kind of a reconciliation process and dispute resolution? It's just like going to a gas station. You swipe your credit card, you pump your gas, and you leave, and you don't think twice about it. Why do industrial transactions have to be any more complicated than that? So you deliver your chemicals, you get paid. Done. Powerful. And this is the thing, because it makes so much sense to us. I almost want to say... Based on someone's birth year, we are privy to things before, you know, like here it is. I'm born in the 70s. I feel like I'm aware of the way the world was when it was typewriters versus texting and things like that. But in the business world, you probably have something very interesting, which there's kind of two different silos of how the oil and gas industry more than ever does things. You have some that are trying to get their technology feet on the ground still, even today, you do hear some criticism about that. But in this case of money and finances, and more importantly, this cycle of how long it takes to get paid, things being held up, waiting for invoices. And even, this is what I'm really interested in, the way invoicing works in some cases is almost a strategy used that can hurt the seller and help the buyer. So, From where you stand and you knowing kind of what this is going to do, which is eye-opening, the idea that really this whole rigmarole of 60-day invoicing could be just turned around upside down, who is the first line of organizations that you want to help? Is it on the seller side, the buyer side? What was your intention? It's always on the seller side because they want to get paid quicker. But the seller could be a seller of hydrocarbon. So actually, our first customer is likely to be a seller of hydrocarbon. So They're producing gas in Oklahoma, and let's say they produce gas on the 1st of September. They don't get paid for that gas until the 25th of October. Using the system we've got, we will will measure the SCADA meter at the custody transfer point and make a payment the next day. So the seller could be hydrocarbons, but the seller could be a seller of chemicals or 
agricultural suppliers. Mm. It's the seller, and it's typically the CFO of the seller. So we remove the need for bank covenants and the need. We relieve the stress on the balance sheet. This is not a loan. We are making a payment to them in return for an assignment of the receivable to their customer. It doesn't have any impact on the customer. It doesn't mean the customer has to pay any quicker because Visit is making the payment to the seller. Wow. The idea that if you're listening to this podcast and you're going, oh, crap, now with Visit, like I've got to be able to pay on demand. No, your life doesn't change. It's everything changes for the vendor that you're using. It makes the supply chain more healthy. And then in terms of sellers, I would imagine that ears are perking up saying, look, I want to know how this works. Yeah, for sure. You see this even in the consumer market where getting paid now might cost you 1% or 2% of what, you, of what your deposit is. But I think all of us in many cases are going, yeah, put the money in our account now and it's fair. Like It feels fair to not have to wait. What is your value proposition to sellers when you sit down? Because I could imagine there's like several different angles to what the benefit is for them. Can we dive into that? I would think it's a three or four part conversation. It's really about the time value of money and how much their capital is costing them today. They've more than likely got access to capital. Maybe they've maxed it out. You never know. What's the cost of capital? And then you do the net present value of getting paid today versus what they traditionally get paid in. And then you figure out, it's a very simple math equation at mm -hmm. the end of the day. You don't need a PhD in finance to do this. I mean, you just need to say, if you can do that present value calculation, you can figure out whether this is a deal worth doing. Or not. Mm -hmm. There has to be an electronic source of measurement because we, just like at a gas station, we are using a meter of some kind. It could be a skater system. It could be a flow meter. It could be a ticketing system, electronic ticketing system. But as long as there's electronic confirmation of delivery, what we will do is we use a smart contract to calculate the terms according to whatever the terms are between the buyer and the seller. We don't get in the middle of that. We don't change it. Obviously, we don't change it. It's none of our business. But based on the terms that they've already agreed, the smart contract will execute those terms and then Fizit will make a payment based on the confirmed delivery. If there's no delivery or there's a meter that's, that's what the next question you're going to ask is, what happens if the meter is inaccurate or if there's some issue? If there's an issue or there's Obviously, you can do some error checking at the meter level, making sure it's within the bounds that you expect. But as long as it is within the bounds, like I said, we're seeing 98% of them go through. Why not make a payment? Right. It seems to me like in addition to just the obvious swiftness of transactions, I've been reading a lot about where organizations are affected by social engineering, you know, like the cyber attacks and people tricking them into paying I think there'd be a huge amount of peace of mind that would come when you go, hey, I'm using Fizit for this one customer. My question to you is, is if I'm a seller and I began working with you guys, is this something I can scale across my entire book of business? Like, Could I take all of my clients and put them on this program without a lot of friction? Yeah. I mean, it's a minimal setup. You've probably already got the data. You must have the data because you're doing business today. Mm -hmm. We need to connect to the data. But I mean, you asked me a question which I didn't answer completely. What are the other benefits? So if I've got a performance contract, I actually get paid for that performance. The reduction in fraud, it's very difficult to have fraud when you're using an electronic source of delivery, a measurement. And then there's a reduction in the back office expenses, right? If you take it to its logical conclusion, there is no invoice anymore. Yeah. 
obviously is a record and it's all stored in the blockchain. It has to be stored in a financial system of some kind. But I mean, you don't have to wait for an invoice. You just get paid. Great. And then the process, I would imagine, also for onboarding. So you get to this point where you're going, this would help my business. I completely agree. It's reducing risk in several different ways from an electronic standpoint to even the fact that fiduciarily, I don't know if that's a word, but from a fiduciary standpoint, you have kind of like a partner almost like with checks and balances, I would imagine. What do you imagine are some of the criteria that in this first phase of clients, is there any kind of limitations to what kind of balances that they could incorporate on this? What are things that are considered when onboarding a new customer? Before I answer that question, let me answer another question. So you asked me who is the customer. Typically, it's a CFO, but you just said checks and balances. One of the departments that likes this the most is the audit department Mm. because they have got complete, I mean, part of having a smart contract confirmed transaction is that there is a complete record of all the data that was used to make the payment. There's a record of the algorithm used to calculate the payment. And there's a record of the payment itself. So if you want an audit of your supply chain, you've got it electronically at your hands at any moment. The audit department really, really like the visibility that this gives Mm. to them and to their auditors. They can just give a log on to their auditors. Then their auditors can knock themselves out because they've got full disclosure. Yeah, I mean, so far, just even going through this, it just seems like an upside everywhere you go. I know that, I mean, you've given a range of like what a cost could be. It's nothing critical. It's like really just you're enabling these companies to have cash flow and not be part of this cycle that forever has been a problem. This is what I want to ask you, though. As you were developing this, for some of us that don't know the pains of being on the side of the seller... Could you share with me like a story that's a good example of where these ideas started to come to you? I'm sure you've been in the room with executives where you keep hearing the same story again and again to where obviously this was a problem you wanted to solve. That's a really interesting question. The idea, I mean, to give credit where credit is due, came from a large oil and gas company. We were talking about the value of being able to save 10% of their supply chain costs by making supply chain deliveries more efficient using smart contracts, which is, we've got the data to prove that. But they said, you know, that's all interesting. But what would be really interesting is if you could pay us quicker for our hydrocarbons. Mm. And I just burst out laughing. It's like, that's a stupid idea. I mean, that's $3 million a day. I don't have $3 million a day to give you. And then I started thinking about it and they're like, well, actually, why not? Mm. If we can raise the float, to pay this company and we can measure it electronically, why not pay for the hydrocarbons? And ironically enough, that's actually the first use case we're looking at. So I think we all know the inefficiencies in the transactions. Why is it okay? And what possible reality, except that it is reality, is it okay for me to deliver a product to you today? And I don't pay you today. I don't pay you in 30 days. I'd probably pay you in 60, 90, 120 days. Mm. And then you can compare that to the consumer world. Amazon wouldn't accept that, would they? They'd just tell you to jump in the lake. The gap in realization of value using technology between the consumer space and the industrial space is 
ginormous. I don't know if that's a word. Yeah, right. We're making up words today, but it's important because that's really what it is. It's like, how do you even put into words, not just the money that's been tied up for so many. And yeah, the bigger the company, the bigger amount that's tied up. And then you have this, going back to this idea of your customer, your customer's means might not change. It might be really that everybody's requiring this cash flow to be what allows them to be solvent in some cases. So you're not disrupting the buyer while you're enabling the seller. And then I would imagine too, that this company, there's probably some opportunities for people to support it, maybe from an investment standpoint. You know, I know there's all kinds of regulations about what can and can't be said. I don't know what they are though, but I have to ask, is this something where if people are listening and they go, hey, you know what? I'm not really in the business, but I really think this is a splendid idea. I want to talk to this guy. Is that something that's open for conversation? Absolutely. We are raising money. I think all startups are raising money. So if you want to contact me to inquiries at visit.biz, it's inquiries with an I. I had an argument with my wife, argument, (laughs) discussion with my wife, whether it's spelled inquiries or inquiries. In England, it's inquiries. In America, apparently, it's inquiries with an I. So inquiries at physit.biz. Then if you're interested in helping fund the float, there's an opportunities there. If you're interested in investing in the company, there's opportunities there as well. So absolutely. Okay. And yes, national, what is it? Inquiring minds want to know. I do want to ask you just from a global standpoint, because I do know that I can just tell from your accent, obviously. Yeah. You're here in the U.S., you know this business very well. You've got a background in energy. Just kind of off the topic of Fizit, like what do you see as we get into like this next 12 to 18 months? Here we are. We're in the, going into Q4 of 2023. Some of what you're doing is kind of allowing businesses to grow faster, in my opinion. Like just sitting here as someone who's learning about this mission you're on, what is your goal and how it will affect these companies as you do have the ability to onboard more clients and help their customers. What does that look like from a global standpoint? Because I would imagine there's just no way that it doesn't go international as far as what its effect is for the industry. Well, we all know the energy industry is a global industry. It's one of the challenges of a startup, right? I mean, you can't start a startup and say, I'm in the energy industry. Oh, and by the way, I'm only going to do North America. Right. It doesn't work because it's a global industry. So you have to think global day one. Another opportunity that I didn't mention, which I should have done, is we have an ambassador program. So if people have got connections and would be interested in helping to resell this service, then that's something that is an opportunity for people to get involved to help us because it's a big market with a big opportunities. The way we're addressing that is through an ambassador program, and we've got a pretty robust plan around that as well. So if somebody's interested in that, then let me know. Yeah, it sounds like if somebody has connections and they could be almost like an alliance partner, making introductions, helping more companies, and really all you're looking for is an introduction to share what the value is here, which seems so obvious. Which answers the question about global, right? Because how do you scale fast enough? And that's the only way you scale fast enough is by making it lucrative for other people to get involved in this opportunity and get compensated for it. Okay, another question I have for you is related to currency. So here it is. So you're accepting the fact that, okay, yeah, this is a global offering. So with that, currency changes in some countries, currency changes by the day, some every three months. 
when somebody onboards with Fizit, is the plan that really any of the currency exchange and all that would be handled by your company? Well, this actually takes some of the currency risk out for customers, right? Because typically they make a delivery today and in 45, 60, 90 days, the currency value has changed. Mm-hmm. With what we're doing, make a delivery today, get paid tomorrow, the currency risk is significantly minimized. Yes, yeah. minimized. Reduced. This helps customers minimize their currency risk. Which is incredible because even that part of it is, I'm sure it's tedious, number one, for the back office. It's a huge part of our one of the companies I used to work for. I mean, we had a whole hedging strategy around the delay in getting paid. This really helps with that problem. Okay, that's like a superb kind of thing to know about this. But moving on to another thing, just because my head's kind of spinning on all these different angles to this. Like I would imagine just like you could have people that are interested in investing in helping other sellers, like being part of Fizit to make this business model work. Am I wrong to think that if I'm a seller and I've got massive receivables, account receivables, that there might be a good reason to contact you? Like, hey, I want you just to look at everything I've got out here and I want you to see what all these trends are. And can we figure this out? Even if I'm self-funding, how we solve my problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can take a look at a portfolio of receivables and you asked me about getting started and I forgot to answer your question sufficiently because I went on about the audit stuff. (laughs) Well, it's a lot here. But what's required is we need to know that there's an electronic source of data. We know that you need to know there's some kind of a payment history. So we need to see, basically, we're pricing our deal based on what the payment history is of your customer. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, what's our risk and what's our exposure? And do you have a clean contract? One thing that we can't get into the middle of is helping you resolve a lousy contract. So if you've got a contract that's full of disputes, we don't have the horsepower or the bandwidth to be able to help you figure that out. As long as the contract is, as one of our guys calls it, internally consistent, meaning it's clean, then we can just take the pricing terms, we can take the data that you've got, and based on your payment receipt history, then we can price the deal. And then we'll work with you and that present value of what's that worth. And like I said, it's a math equation. It's not complicated. Yeah. And I can't help but ask, are there challenges where somebody sits down with you and they go through these kind of very much required items that you're talking about contract, what their contracts are, what the history is, is using a smart contract, something that has to be a common denominator across all clients And if so, are there any other challenges that we're not thinking of that are good to share with somebody who's contemplating reaching out as a seller? It's all about the data, to be perfectly honest. Is the data available? If it's not, we can put you in touch with people who can provide data, but that's the biggest change. I mean, that's the obvious one. Sorry, I've been stupid. Change management. Change is not necessarily welcome. You are changing the status quo of how customers operate. And are they comfortable with that? That's the biggest challenge. Mm. What I like about this is it's minimally invasive. We're not coming in saying you have to rip out your ERP system or change your ERP system or change your ticketing system or change anything, really. We're just saying we're going to take what you've got in the field and we're going to use that to make a payment. So we're not coming in saying you have to have a whole change management process, but it is change. And that is the biggest challenge I think companies have. Nice. Okay. And then before we shut it down, this is great. I feel like 
in many ways, this is such a simple and, geez, what a much needed solution for so many. As simple and streamlined as it is, there is kind of like these, I feel like we're covering a lot of what are the things that come to mind just initially. My question to you before we close out is this, is when it comes to going from a seller's perspective, let's just say that I'm making up a number here, but let's say they have 100 clients. Could they choose to compartmentalize this where they say, Andrew, I don't want to do every, like, I don't want to just make this across the board for everybody, but I have two clients that I really, really would love to do this with. Is that an option? And do you even suggest that? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody wants to get their feet wet. The company I'm talking about being our first customer, they've got some gas in Oklahoma. I mean, they've also got crude oil and they've got gas in Texas, but we're trying it out in one area first and then hopefully for everybody we'll be scaling it across the whole operation but you can compartmentalize it i would say the one challenge and risk for a seller is that one of my other colleagues says i mean it has to be material because otherwise it's easy to kill a project to say oh it's not really having any impact Mm. if it's not material then is it worth doing right I think there needs to be a plan for making it a material impact in your company. And it does have a material impact on your financials, but that requires a larger scale rollout. Awesome. Well, with that, I want to thank you for doing this. I know I carved out a little bit of time on your calendar today. I think this is important because in all of my years doing these interviews, everybody talks data. I mean, I'm not everybody. I don't want to sound like I'm generalizing everything, but data is such a top subject matter. You have technology and like how it leverages the data and how companies are doing business to be more efficient. But what I like about what you've done and like this entire conversation is about money. It's like the one thing where you're saying, hey, we can take this 30 and 60 day delay and pretty much with one relationship and just making sure you have a few characteristics that are necessary, remove that entire nightmare from a company And if you're a CFO, you're probably going, this is great because now we can just keep rolling forward. Like we can make moves ahead of the curve versus dealing with the currency craziness and everything else that comes to play. I'll tell you a quick story about a a CFO that I was interviewing in the spring. So I was interviewing somebody in the spring and I said, let me ask you a really stupid question. I said, you're a CFO. You've been a CFO for, it was a drilling mud company why would this be interesting to you? And he looked at me as though I was kind of brain dead, which maybe I was. (laughs) But he said, look, the issue that I've got is that my customers hold all my money. I've sold them drilling mud. I can't buy any new inventory. I can't do any innovation. I can't make my payroll. I can't grow my business because my customers hold all my money. Mm. I'm out of inventory. I'm out of product. I'm keeping up, but I can't get ahead. He said, what you are suggesting to me is that when I deliver mud, I can get paid the next day, and then I can buy new inventory. I can make my payroll. I don't have to go and borrow money. I can run my business with my cash. I have the cash that I've earned as opposed to my customer having my cash. It's like, oh, well, that makes it easy. You and I can understand that. Yeah. In a nutshell, I think that's the value. No, that is the value. And this will for sure be a clip I put up on the OGGN side because this is exactly... One thing is to think really big with people with super deep pockets that can wait around for money and don't care about the interest on the money that's all tied up with the banks for them to do business. The other is to think about that exact kind of client that's going, this is enabling me, it's empowering me, 
it's actually allowing me to compound my results. That's super powerful. I think that says so much. And before we close out, I would just say, if you're someone who wants to look into this, not only from a standpoint of being a customer of Fizit, but if you're just saying, you know what, I want to be part of this and help make it happen, Andrew Bruce from Fizit, I'll have all of his information in the show notes, and you can reach out to him on LinkedIn or through the Fizit website. Andrew, any last words before we get out of here? It's a Friday. <laughs> It's a Friday. It's a it's Rugby World Cup this weekend. So it's a very big weekend. I, oh, yeah, I just, that is. I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate you making time. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you. And I can't wait to hear more and catch up with you soon, Andrew. Thank you. And bye, everybody. Goodbye. Check us out next week for another fun and growth-minded episode of Pitch Podcast, where companies join us to share their solutions with the world. Sign up for our mailing list to learn more about our upcoming events at OGGN.com.